And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod. We're here. We're alive. It's Monday where we are. It's Thursday in your world if you're listening on a release day, which everyone should, uh, because that's when our takes are the freshest. Um, although, although I ran into some folks the this weekend, we we put together an event called the Eastside Record Swap, which was super cool. Got to meet some fans in person. Um, people really binge this show. Uh, shout out to Richard Hoffman who. Uh, it's probably our number one fan. Y'all can fight it out. But my guy had listened to 195 episodes this year. Um, so shout out to Richard Hoffman. Uh, that is wild to me. That um, is wild. Is, isn't that all of them? Because we don't publish one or two or three. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It's 12,000 minutes of me, you, and Dave, which I do it with you in real time. And that's that's good. I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I think it's that's good. Uh, one of the reasons I can't post my Spotify wrapped is uh, it shows how much I listen to the show. It's uh, my number yeah. one podcast was what had happened was uh, same, same. by open Mike Eagle as everyone should be number two uh, fellow Stony Island label mate uh, Sean Kantrowitz's can't knock the shuffle underrated. Okay. Guess yep. you get into that, but number five was ours. <laughs> and part Barbie of, number five, son. Part of it is because I'm looking for stuff in old episodes sometimes yeah. i'm yeah. looking like back for information or remembering a thing or like you know grabbing a little snippet for something we're working on uh part of it is just sometimes i listen to it because i know if i don't listen to it it will never get better oh that's such a hard uh balance to draw as an artist i took to at a certain point not listening to my music because I, I felt it would get me in a real bad spiral of like, oh my God, this sucks. This sucks. This sucks. Um, but our show doesn't suck. It doesn't. It's, it's remarkable actually. So <laughs> I, uh, but, but I still listen to it with the perspective of I suck. And I, Aww. I really, yeah, I really have to, um, I got to pick my spots of like, okay, I'm going to listen to myself. I can enjoy you and Dave like all day, but when I get to myself, I'm like, really? The 13th, um, nah, like, bro, like, come no on, cares come about on. that stuff. I, I just, you know, I don't know if Richard Hoffman drinks or if any of the fans drink, but uh, every fan should take a drink when Dave thanks the guest for their answer. Yes. <laughs> good, good way to get drunk. That's our favorite drinking game. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been an amazing run. Shout out to everybody who came out to the Eastside Record Swap. Yeah, it's good to see people and do stuff and talk to Domino and uh, hang out oh, with man. Controller 7 and just see a bunch of real life friends and drink great coffee. I got some cool records and you yeah. you the way you set it up with the people like documenting it and stuff was really cool. Yeah, uh, there's going to be some video footage that's that's going to come from this, but probably only for the Patreon homies. So wow. this is a this is a time for you to subscribe to our Patreon if you have not done so already. But we did our first in-person interview, uh, which was a, an interesting situation. Nate, you mentioned right before we went on that we usually do this in a semi-private way, and then y'all hear it. Um, how did it feel to be on a stage and kind of like gawked at as you did your your podcasting thing. Just awful. Yeah, I, hate, <laughs> I can I sense it. it. I can yeah, sense it. <laughs> I just wanted to like uh, like I had a hoodie on or like a 
a windbreaker. I just wanted to put my hood up and pull the strings and pull my hat down and my mask up. And yeah, man, for all the confidence I've gained as a, uh, I don't know what you call what we do host, I suppose, uh, being in front of people I actually know and doing it was very, very nerve wracking and weird. Um, and it's funny because in the three man weave, which is what we call our uh, patented podcast interview style, we only ask two questions each, basically, like we've we've learned yeah. that. Yeah with a thoughtful guest if we each ask two questions that's half an hour yep. and so that is it's just funny for all that stuff like it, to, to go up and ask two questions you know what I mean and Domino is yeah. someone we've spoken to before and someone who yeah. I know really well so it's not like yep. something I needed to prep for and actually I didn't know what I would be saying until I opened my mouth which again a little dangerous in front of all these people yeah that's um, what I live I live for that feeling of like yeah. I have no idea what's gonna happen next but and, I thought you you and Dave did did good work it felt it felt natural but I could also feel the uh the nervousness i don't know if you noticed i came in with like three questions in the beginning yeah just, no it was good it was settle good. the we team down and you're a, yeah. you're a great host and you know you uh, you've you've done your fair share of panel discussions and i i've you i've done a ton of stuff like that for my day job and i'm like uber confident about that but usually i sit behind a table or something i think it was more like oh. in, i'm just being like super honest with you it's oh. more like the thing of being seen like, yeah. I didn't know we were going to do panel discussion style, like with the chairs across the front. I thought we'd kind yeah. of wander around like oh. a hip hop show. You know oh, what I got mean? Got you, got you. And so I don't know. I don't know if that would have been better or worse. I wanted that. stools. You guys will see it when we do it. We're in chairs. I think stools is the is the operative thing. And, yeah. and uh, it was cool, but, though. And Domino, Domino is mad cool. Um, and yes, for people absolutely. seeing the pictures, he is eight feet tall. Yeah, no, no, that is not like that weird um, thing that happens in photographs where the, the perspective, yeah, where it gets distorted. No, Domino for real, Domino and Controller Seven uh, could take us to the finals. Yeah, if we... as Dave uh, said when we were all kind of saying goodbye, it's a uh, Controller Seven feet. <laughs> I was my first time getting to see Controller Seven in person. Shout out to Controller Seven, uh, friend of the program and just the homie. So yeah, it, it went well. It was cool to do it in person. I've been getting some uh, good feedback about it, and you know, it's it's like anything. We'll we'll do a hundred more of these, and and we'll uh, Nate is looking at me like, no, we won't. Uh, <laughs> do do whatever you want. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm not organizing it. I don't care. Yeah. I've organized record shows in my life. It is not easy. Oh no, I'm saying we're gonna do more live podcasts. Oh, live interviews. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. could do live interviews. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Just yeah. give me the mic. I want to cup it all weird and stock the stage. Exactly. Nate yeah. is that rapper that pulls his hat down over his eyes. Yeah. That gets okay. uh gets super down low with it. But I want to do the Billy Woods crouch on the side of the stage when it's not my verse. That was so dope. Yeah. And the a way rapper, they seed the stage to each other on their individual parts. Wait, we had saw Arm and Hammer live a couple of times this uh, fall, and it's very interesting to see the. And I had seen both of their live stream shows, so I kind of knew what to expect. But it, it's a very cool thing, and you and I have talked at length about how one of the things that makes a bad hip hop show is people walking in front of each other and stepping on each other's lines people. and stuff, and they, they yeah. just they're like the opposite of that. Yep. Yeah. They the, just the oppo- get out the of each other's of way. Yeah, <laughs> but today well, I, we have yeah. some crazy shit going on. We have some crazy shit going on today. So um, this podcast has been a journey of us uh, chronicling and talking to people who we really respect 
Um, and then that becoming a two-way conversation, which has been a trip where we have we, I don't that, think I, any of us expected the people not. to talk back. It's like outside exactly. of the interview in the kind of uh, the meta textual Twitter DM email sphere to like hear from people that you admire is that they like what you do is like pretty crazy. And Rob Sonic was very generous with yes. that yes. last week and this week yep. kind of takes it up to a whole nother level. As, as I told some of my friends and family members at Thanksgiving, like basically once a week, something happens in our little hip hop life that would have blown my mind when I was 18. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, the 16 year old me um, is like foaming at the mouth and just convulsing on the floor with the number of things that have happened. This week is an example of that. Um, Saya from Saya and Yeshua um, just reached out to us. I know. Have you been in contact with him at all? On this the, was on the completely socials? out of the blue. So let, let me set it up a little yeah, bit. Yeah. So, um, Cyan Yeshua are a legendary underground rap duo. They put out one EP. We call it the Visuals EP. I think it's actually technically self-titled. Um, okay, I should, should have clarified that with uh, with Saya, but it doesn't matter. It's known in the collecting world as the Visuals EP. It's a somewhat rare um, 12-inch EP, plain white sleeve, amazing label, um, just, just great, great rap music. Some of my favorite rap music ever really defines the kind of stuff that I'm into really wordy, technical, lyrical with jazz samples, this, this like amazing, like psychedelic 11 minute odyssey song called a day, like no other or any other. Mm. I can't remember. It's just, it's, it's just amazing. I love it so much. Uh, two years ago, almost exactly. We talked to Yesh. um episode 105 if you guys want to go back and listen to this it's a great companion piece um yes is like the coolest guy he's um super cool just like from brighton beach brooklyn and he's a really good rapper and he's a really really dope guy he's a shoe collector and like really into like eating natural fruits and vegetables and cooking and so we just clicked i just i just i've always loved his music um his song the mystery is a big big deal song for me um Anyway, when we were when we were talking to Yesh, we we always do a little thing that you guys don't hear because we did it out. We're always like, well, so what what do you want? What, what do you not want to talk about? Kind right. of like, what's, right. what's, where's our terms here? Let's set some terms. Right. And most people don't care. Most people let us talk about anything we want. And on this particular one, he's like, if you guys don't mind, like, don't ask about Saya. Don't ask what Saya's been doing. Like, sure. like let's just let's sure. just not do that that's not good and i'm like i fully would have if he hadn't said it so we were respectful about that and we just chatted and there's always we you know we don't we never ask people who they think we should interview or what we think we should ask them we ask people questions because we are interested in them and i think that's one of the things that makes the show interesting so anyway that goes great we we actually got an amazing response to that episode it really brought in some new people into our atmosphere because it's like the people who love that record form this kind of online community. And yes. so when we tapped into that, we were like, whoa, okay. We, what yeah. we thought was kind of a normal booking turned out to be this kind of like home run booking for us. And anyway, Absolutely. years go by. We always mention Sai and Yishwa. We put them on our mixes when we've done little mixes for other outlets. I just, I just hold their records in the highest esteem. So does Dave. Um, I actually don't know if you were familiar with that record back in the day. Or I, was I, like- I, I was, and I feel like um, it got to me at a time where 
I wasn't checking for records like that anymore. Yeah. Um, but in retrospect, because also for research for this episode um, and why you'll hear the question that I ask at, uh, during the interview, but definitely um, one of the best late backpack era records. Like I, I get why people are so into it. For yeah. Sure. And I just looked, it's never, it, uh, traffic did a two CD set with everything they ever did. Like, Mm-hmm. Um, the the EP, their guest appearances, their follow up singles and stuff, and that's great. If you're a CD person, track that down. Has a little booklet. It's really well yep. done. But the record has been bootlegged, but never officially repressed. So an official copy goes for about it's about a hundred dollar record, and so that's oh, not wow. like okay, that's not the craziest price for a record. When I used to work right. at the record store about you know 10, 15 ish years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh we would price it at like 60 60 to 75 okay so which the, for a rap record is a rap record heavy, especially right? at that time before prices went crazy yeah. um was you know it's a rare it's a somewhat rare record the, uh there are 3000 of them i have one um but, it's but one of it's my not, most prized records i i didn't get into this in the interview but i want to be clear for folks who haven't heard it it's not super prized just because it's rare it's the mixture of being a super dope record that is also rare. Because now we have in hip hop, we have these weird records that are expensive just because they're rare. Well, uh, uh, we could do a whole thing about that, but I, I won't. <laughs> uh, the, the random rap phenomenon and the kind of uh, prizing of things that weren't valued by their current scene doesn't make them bad. Like, I, it's hard. I would hesitate to find it. It doesn't make them that good, that though. bad. It doesn't. It doesn't make them good, though. It makes them rare, which uh, is a is a the way a record becomes rare is it was not well received at the time. It basically never went anywhere, and so there is something about that because you, you it might have been fit into a scene or a sound or a style that didn't that wasn't fashionable. But that that sure. again, that doesn't make it good or bad. You have to base it on whether it's good or bad on its own merits. That's fair. Um, That's fair. But anyway, just to keep it to this EP, um, I completely agree with your point that the music is good and it has become somewhat of a sought after collectible, which kind of best of both worlds for those of us who got it for like $7.99 or whatever. (laughs) Um, But it's not like I'm trying to sell it. So the price doesn't really matter. I just wanted to give a sense for people who don't collect records of what this record is. And it really exists in its best form as a record. And it's not on streaming. So it's kind of mm-hmm. something we, we talked about last week. We talk about often. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where it just didn't, it did it never made it into this modern era. So no, not, not as many people are going to hear it as perhaps should. But if you like really wordy, rhymy, excellently made uh, hip hop, it's probably available on a certain site. Uh, so let's just say that. that. Yeah. So fast forward two years, Damone actually, texts me or throws our in the group chat he's like hey you need to read this email we just got and it is saya saying he digs the show and he appreciates us talking about his music and that he wants to talk to us and that he has a new song crazy and he mentions us in the song crazy it's crazy you guys will hear the song at the end of the show yes i'm gonna make you listen to everything until you get to hear the song that's right um but yeah dude uh this was so cool like we immediately connected him with Dave, got him on the schedule. Um, we had this perfect little slot right before we're going to kind of do our year in review 
the you know uh should we just say it episode episode 200 well is... no 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 199 we're gonna oh, that's we, right. we're not calling it the daddy awards or the body awards or any of the other things we've thrown around we're gonna we come up with a new term shout out data lists for giving me this term episode 199 year in review quibble jam <laughs> You heard it here first. Oh, my God. I'm so here for Quibble Jam. I was actually born for this. So we'll do uh, 199 will be our year in award show uh, here heretofore to be known as Quibble, Quibble Jam. And then uh, 200 is our, our special, special episode that we have a super special guest for. And we're still not telling you who that is, but it's super special. And uh, it was great to be able to get Saya in right before all of that is happening. And it's a good interview, man. Yeah, he's really, um, really sharp and really, yeah. really passionate. And I, to me, like, this is what I was saying. It would blow my mind as a younger person. Like, they, one of the things that makes them so underground is they kind of stopped being a unit. And yes, yeah, she yeah. went on to rhyme with We Be Foolish and did some other stuff. Saya has a couple of other songs, but he kind of, for all intents and musical purposes or underground hip hop purposes drops off the face of the earth. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's so essentially underground rap. Like basically Absolutely. all you have to do is start going by your government name and stop using your handle. And you've, you've ceased that's to it. exist. That's so it. he has a whole life outside of hip hop, not something we get into on the show, but fascinating in its own regard. And um, just the nicest, coolest guy. His his beard looks exactly like mine with the gray yeah. patches. Like it's there just was some like, synergy there cool that, guy. that I could uh, I could see. It's like if Nate was a professor of Middle Eastern studies, right. he would be Saya. And I didn't uh, wear glasses, and I could rap. Yeah, <laughs> some key differences, but a lot of similarities there. Yeah. Great interview. After the interview, you will hear the song um, "Nitro Fresh" twenty twenty one. Uh, that Saya just it, we're premiering. We need yeah. we need premiere sound effects. We can, we can come up with uh, well, you know, uh, it's taken from something else, but of course, uh, the uh, remix to Peanut Butter Wolf and uh, Charisma My World premiere has some mm. some kind of like mumbled world yes. premiere stuff. Yes, yeah, it, you know, I've I've toyed with uh, getting a a soundboard before i well, think last holidays i was like i had some of the uh dj saint b i think brendan like sent me a bunch of stuff and i played with it a little bit and i'm like the show's gonna get too goofy if i start doing sound effects it's like, well Dave's trying to make a point and i'm like Baruga. <laughs> Stupid. well i was talking and it's just like slide whistle <laughs> nothing more degrading than that but uh, for those who subscribe to our Patreon, you probably have already heard Nate LeBlanc's Fly Sporadic Part 2 Camcorder, in Kim which Camcorder, Camcorder, in, in which you kind of gave us a little, it's like a white dude, Lee Scratch Perry. Like, I was, I was here for it, man. So, you may hear more effects uh, coming up soon. But, um, yeah, let's that's get, a DOS. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, we'll get into this interview, and then on the other side of the interview, we are going to debut Nitro Fresh 2021 from Saya, which has a special reference in it. It's the Dad Bod Rap Pot.
Dad Bod Rap Pod. Every week we talk to people who are moving and shaping hip hop culture. This week is no different. Joining us in Zoom, we have Saya from uh, Saya and Yeshua, the visuals EP, which is sort of a, a one of those holy grail records for us. And we're really excited to have him on the program. Saya, what's happening? Hey, fellas, it's really amazing to be here with you, fellow historians. Um, uh, of uh, in historians of hip hop in your case, and uh, and just to be able to flip the lens and talk a little bit about history with you about music, it's a great honor because you guys yeah. are 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 the best at this. It's amazing, man. That's wow. that's high praise. Thank you. Um, as a as someone who dropped out of San Jose State um, in sophomore year, uh, I feel vindicated now. Um, so. Let's talk. Let's talk about your history a little bit. Um, we definitely know about your work with uh, Yeshua the poet, the the visuals EP. But how did it start for you? Like, who yeah. were the MCs that you kind of cut your teeth on? Everybody starts out copying. Who were the, yeah. the people that you copied as you you formed your yeah. own style? Well, the way it originates really is uh, I'm living in Syracuse, New York, as a kid, listening to college radio there. You know, my first exposure is to UTFO, um, Run DMC, Beastie Boys. So I had the cassettes and, you know, really enjoying this music. But in 1987, I touched down in the mothership, Planet Brooklyn. We moved to Brooklyn, New York. The very first day we arrive, okay, my dad uh, has all these boxes arranged in a semicircle, kind of like, you know, um, buddy, you're useless here. Turns on the TV and says, here, you, 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 you know, get the TV and watch the TV. And, and, and let me unpack these boxes, right? And so I'm flipping through the channel and I find uh, a rap video show, right? Video music box. Look, I'm wearing the sweater, all right? Uh. <laughs> There's actually right now <laughs> uh, a new documentary released about this on Showtime. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend it. It brought back a lot of memories. So LL Cool J, I'm bad. Apparently the first single off of, I did a little research here, right? The first single off his second album, right? And I'm just mesmerized by this, okay? Not only is it, um, the music that I was listening to in the sort of semi-rural upstate New York, but now it's in, 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 in the mothership. And that kind of launches my interest in this form. I didn't just want to be a part of it. I felt I needed to be a part of it. Now, of course, that gestates slowly, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I would say, you know, Tribe Called Quest is very formative for me. Q-Tips rapping style. Certainly tried to uh, emulate it. I remember 1993 is a huge year for me. Um, Firstly, because Midnight Marauders, I, sim I remember when it came out, listening to that CD one or two times and then just feeling that the rhymes I'm writing after listening to it um, are had, had stepped up a notch. Right. Uh, there's a sort of feel like, you know, there's a one moment of self-awareness where you're kind of like, wow, my craft has improved because this album is so good and the rapping is so good. Um, Ninety three. I'm at a show, The Ritz. Uh, my first hip hop show, KRS One headlining. The UMCs are are on are on the on the um, marquee. I remember the UMCs come out. They're wearing these Nirvana T-shirts. All right, and uh, and it was amazing to watch. This is the show, not where KRS One threw PM Dawn off the stage, but the one where he boasted about it. Right, you know, when I was later on uh, mm -hmm. teaching at Dartmouth, I taught about that iconic uh, that moment and the cartoon from the source that epitomized it and how how that notion sort of uh, served to create some sort of boundaries around the authentic hip hop community. Right. And, you know, creating sort of an emphasis on the raw and the rugged uh, while almost 
um, almost sort of um, disparaging sensitivity, right? There's, there's that creative tension in hip hop that always existed. I think the UMCs, in fact, were um, a sensitive band that were also very funky, right? But this right. Was, these were formative moments for me. Of course, 93, 93 is, is the year I get into uh, Stretch Armstrong and Bobito. And then there's a whole panoply of, uh, of underground rappers uh, who are featured between the, on the 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. slot. Uh, you knew in high school who, who loved Stretch and Bobito because Friday mornings, um, the people sleeping against the locker room walls were, were the Stretch and Bobito heads, <laughs> the ones who had stayed up all night to tape, to tape those gems that you wouldn't hear anywhere else. It was this ecosystem that I just was um, wanting to be a part of, not realizing it, you know, making records. In fact, um, you know, I mean, Rakim, of course, is very important. My first partner in rap uh, very much emulated uh, Rakim's style. Um, in in uh, 91 or so, I moved from the 14th block of my neighborhood to the first block. It happened to be the only uh, the, the block where the only other rapper in the neighborhood lived. Right. This guy, this fellow Morgan. And so we started um, building together, um, you know, and he, he had Rakim style. I certainly was more into the, uh, the, the Q-tip Tribe Called Quest style. But of course, all of us and I was listening to DMC uh, recently speaking with you guys. All of us were just blown away by Big Daddy Kane also. So Big Daddy Kane, you're not emulating his style because you can't emulate his style. But you, are, you have him in the back of your mind as like just the, the guy who com combines timbre, um, intellect, uh, you know, flow. Um, and he had the whole package, right? So th those are some of the influences uh, th that I think uh, were shaping me in that early stage. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, it's, you know, speaking of the formulation of styles and the gestate, the gestation of styles, um, the visuals, 1996, Fondolo, you know, um, years later, everybody, you know, talks about its influence. And I wanted to know, like, was there a point where you felt like, yo, like, that was an influential record? It really astounds me. Um, 25 years later, how this record that was only 3,000 copies printed um, remains this sort of beloved artifact of an era. And even um, in some ways, the sort of, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know, for people, now, I won't say for me necessarily, but the sort of sense, sense of time, the sort of timeless record. I mean, there are a lot of indicators to me about its value to, um, to, it, to, to enthusiasts and lovers of the form. Um, it, it just blows my mind. It's sort of the only cult that I'd ever want to be a part of, you know, <laughs> this, this weird little, you know, universe of, of people who love uh, of this music. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just blown away. Look, I'll tell you a funny little story. When we were making the record, um, we, we had debates, uh, a couple of, you know, so who made the record? Myself, Edwin, Yesh, and John Adler. These are the th core people who made this record together. And I give them all the credit in the world for bringing this to fruition. Um, but they, a few, you know, I won't say who, but some folks had the idea that we should um, release a single from the record, right? To promote it uh, as an avant-garde, right? As a, as a kind of teaser. And I, I don't know why, but I had this, strong visceral aversion to that notion i was like this is a this is an organic whole it's an ep all the all the songs relate to one another let's not single one out uh and create an association with it that removes it from that organic whole right okay fast forward and you know you've got this uh 
music enthusiast website, rateyourmusic.com, where apparently they regard, you know, they have EPs in the separate category, right? And they rate this EP quite, you know, nicely for 1996 and all time. There are periods in time where the EP is hovering in between, is sandwiched between the Beatles and Bob Dylan in terms of its uh, virtue to at least this <laughs> select group of people who are on the internet rating records on this website. So let's not speak, let's not say whether representative or not, but you know, I don't know. It's just something special and, and, and it just blows me away all the time. So I, I don't know what to say about that. I think I'm, I'm at a loss for words, you know, it, look, it's like a, a mathematician. They say he, they, they, he or she, and let's emphasize she peaks at 19 and then they, they don't do any great work after. Maybe that's my story in the sense. Yeah. I, I peaked at 19. Great. Great. Phenomenal. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, so a little, a little anecdote before I lay it on pretty thick here. Cause I love this record. Um, really, really Thank important you. record to me. So when normal people ask me what is my favorite hip hop verse, I would tell them Cool Keith's first verse from Ego Trip and Ultra Magnetic MCs sets the tone for so much kind of 80s rap styles, right? If a head asked me what's my favorite rap verse, I would tell them that your first verse from No Souls Dopus Opus is the best rap verse that I've ever heard in my life. Archery through parched lips, I ain't rhymes that main mimes the verbal darts are rip your heart, skips a beat, grip your seat, or you can dip your feet in the clear blue. Here to defrost your rear view. If you're lost, then I can steer you to where I travel. It's always upon the gravel, cause slaves walk the paved, and everybody got the gavel like a rouse rabble. But never dabble in that babbling sport. For my flock, I bring the father for your thought, and in the melee, I stay like icicle licks. The baby Pele here to hit you with the tricycle kicks. Rhymes are tight like vice grips with mic tools. The fools manifest jewels to get you high like swimming in the cesspool. And when you starve, I carve the rhyme like a pumpkin. And in the caverns of my soul, I go spelunkin. So now you're sunk in the flow, it's mad purin'. MCs who lack the knack of even sampling my urine. Rhymes will emanate from this Yemenite. Lights like a torch, I disseminate the thoughts in flight to ignite the four corners of the earth. Plus the last rover from the sand, now my turf be the astro. I Um, I've been thinking about that verse a ton lately because I think it encapsulates what you did at that time really well, where it's incredibly dense and there's so much internal rhyme happening and just the, there's a lot of imagination in what is essentially rapping about rapping. But um, I guess what I wanted to do with that setup is one, just to tell you how I feel, which I think is an important part of this show. And two, to ask you, how labored over were these rhymes? Like, were these written and rewritten? Was it kind of off the dome, straight to the paper? Were you like, how did you, how how much time and effort went into this? And are you like an editor or are you a sculptor? Or how do you, how did you back then approach your rhyme writing? So first of all, it's so kind of you to say that. And, um, you know, I'm proud of my lyrics, but I also feel uh, I wouldn't put myself uh, in the top 25, but, but I love that you do. And it, it's, it's flattering. It's flattering to me. So to your question, um, I've looked occasionally at my old rhyme books and, you know, some, it'll vary how much scribbling out there is, but oftentimes the versions that I see, um, the later versions that I'll look at, if, if I've looked at them over the years, there will be, um, some core ideas 
that are strong, but I'll have to tweak a word or two for, for, for because of the um, rhythmic awkwardness or the desire to do something better rhythmically. Usually that's what is at issue. Um, but, you know, writing and rewriting, I mean, I, Look, you know, again, I'm jogging my memory here. So it's sort of some of the, you know, <laughs> it's hard to say what's truth and myth and self-mythologizing, right, Nate and, and fellows. But um, I, I do think, I do recall that at the time, at least, I, I would, I, if I wrote a punchline or a conceptual, um, uh, you know, phrasing that I liked, I might rip it from an old song and put it in a new one, right? Um, but there was some effort there. And I do think, yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was refining my style. Here's where I want to say something about 91, again, real quick, if I may, 91 to 93 era, um, when I moved to the block where the, where the other a rapper in the neighborhood lived, I also moved within one to three blocks of the two DJs in the neighborhood, all right? DJ Wave, warm salutations to Joe Apiece, DJ Wave, and Elliot Tayeb. These guys, why were they important? for me because they let me come over to their house and they had great record collections. They, they allowed me to say, Hey, can you put on this record now? I just want to write some raps. I want to freestyle. I want to practice. I got to do that over and over at their homes over, you know, commons first record over black moon over all these amazing instrumentals. And so by the time I'm writing the Cyan Yeshua record with Ed, Ed was my third and final rap partner, you know, I had developed a sense of what my aesthetic was. And, um, you know, and even Bobito, like I, I approached Bobito with a, a, a demo with my second partner. And he's like, all right, this is cool. You know, he didn't play it on the air, right? And yet by the time I made Gravity, I think, which was the first song with Ed, he was ready for it. And I think we were ready. We had a distinctive worldview style. So there was a, a if you talk about the macro view over that, you know, five, really five year period in time, four to five years, there's a lot of editing going on, right, Nate? There's a lot of uh, scribbling out and rehashing and rewriting. Uh, but by that point, I'm getting a little more confident in, in I think, sort of the, 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 uh, the, the averse, its structure, its flow, cadences, whatever, whatever the issues are. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I got a kind of a meta question for you, and I think it'll work because you're, you're a historian. Uh, you were talking about Midnight Marauders 1993 being kind of like an evolutionary moment. Um, I'm a rapper too, and so I definitely identify with hearing it and going, oh, rap is new again. This is There's something new I have to, to speak to. Um, the visuals comes out in 96. Uh, do you feel, because this is how I feel, but do you feel like yeah. the wave of backpack rap kind of crested somewhere around there. Tupac dies, rap on the radio completely changes. I think after this, we just get records from underground rappers about how much they hate the mainstream because there was a sea change, right? And I look at your record um, and some of the records of the time is kind of being like the high watermark on the wall before underground rap kind of receded for a little bit. Does that make any sense to you? Does that does that resonate? Was that a feeling you had at that time? Oh, hugely, uh, hugely. So, in fact, the whole ethos that we were um, kind of that was driving um, our ideas was exactly what you described. It was 
this idea that rap was turning commercial and uh, we, as these uh, strange, uh, you know, uh, scavengers from New York City had to uh, maintain that authentic connection to the rap of the late 80s, early 90s. We were, I, I mean, I'm sort of paraphrasing and speaking on behalf of, you know, people I haven't seen in a while, but I feel that was the sense that we had an obligation to preserve the authentic, um, uh, uh, you know, New York City sound uh, while um, rap was becoming entrepreneurship. And in retrospect, you know, I have, I have great respect for the idea that rap became Black entrepreneurship in the mid-90s, creating opportunities for Black New Yorkers and then th throughout the country to uh, capitalize on, on, on this musical form and make it into a, a viable um, a business model, right? Um, but at the time, we were attached not to the bad boy ethos, but rather we were opposed to the bad boy ethos. We wanted, you know, to, to um, kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, develop out uh, the, the kind of more innocent rap uh, notions that had originated, uh, that the, for, you know, that, that sort of, that the form was at its origins and into the, you know, into, into that era preceding the, the, the more um, commercialized uh, era. So, yes, and I think that sort of most deaf for me and uh, Talib Kweli's uh, first album uh, was the kind of, for me, the sort of uh, the, 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 the bookend on that era. Um, so certainly so, uh, certainly so. Uh, perfect. Thanks for uh, painting that picture for us. Um, just moving forward chronologically a little bit, uh, Visuals was 1996. By 98, you guys um, were on the Deeper Concentration um, release. Um, you had Cure for Stagnation, um, A Day Like Any Other. Can you just give us a sense of the profusion and the energy that was um, that was popping off like in 1998 before like Def Jux, you know, kind of went on their run? Like, what was that like being there like? Look, I was already on my way out of the scene. All right. You know, mm. um, Ed and I made that song on deeper concentration. We, it was there was a lot of joy there, but I was I was sort of uncertain as to what my future was going to be in music uh, professionally. And look, I mean, Def Jux and, and you know, LP, we were we I knew him quite well back then. I would spend a lot of time in his apartment because um, we had, you know, his roommate was a friend of mine sort of. So someone I was uh, dating now and again, a uh, friend from college. So I spent a lot of time in his house and we were also on the scene together. He was a larger than life personality in that, uh, in that era. Um, you know, Bobito was a huge fan of his and promoted his work. And of course, Elle's work stood for itself. It, stand, it still stands. I, I still enjoy putting on the Company Flow first record, right? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, very much. It's, uh, it's in all of its quirky uh, glory and, and big just a, underrated phenomenal rapper of the era who does maybe doesn't get his due outside of the heads community right but he, he you know so uh, that loomed large i mean l called me you know or one day usually i would call him i think this time he called me maybe and uh invited me to join and i i just you know i, I was that was an era when i was turning people down i guess mm. uh i just was not as um as engaged but but 
look, there were opportunities at that point to, to take your underground rap to another level for a few folks. Uh, all Hats off to, to, to Jamie for doing it independently still, uh, you know, mm. for, for deciding to do that on independent terms. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't say that the movement fizzled because you still have these great uh, young artists out today who are, um, you know, who are, who are keeping the flame alive of our music and everyone else is from that era. But I was not as, uh, you know, I was not as, as kind of plugged in at that point because I was taking things in a different direction for different reasons, including a desire to study music. I wasn't ready to be out there on the stage as a musical phenomenon with no musical knowledge. You know, I, I felt that I knew so little about music and, and using pre-recorded loops um, as the basis of my musical identity. It, there was something frustrating about that, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Mm. That's interesting. And it gives us a chance to talk about kind of um, the post underground rap career. My understanding is you delve deeply into the piano and that that's how you began to um, find the music within yourself. Do you, can you talk to us a little bit about that and like where with that journey? Well, yes, most of my life in music has been spent uh, formally away from hip hop, but always with hip hop in mind, right? With that aesthetic in mind, I didn't realize it. Uh, but the journey has been an effort to master some aspects of piano playing and, and the piano. Remember, the piano is a percussion instrument, right? Um, and, you know, hip hop is a percussive music driven fundamentally by rhythm and drums, right? And, and so I didn't know it at the time when I was studying piano, moving through genres, uh, dabbling a little in sort of piazzolas, tango music, jazz, and predominantly in studying new music composition, I didn't realize that where I wanted to settle, what I wanted to see achieved in music was this fusion of hip hop and new musical forms. But I was moving on that course unwittingly for a long while. And, you know, this rhythmic percussive style of my piano playing, it's jarring and it's, it's deliberately dissonant. It's deliberately um, um, kind of oftentimes, uh, 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 kind of uh, unsettling because I hearkened back to that golden age of the hip hop aesthetic, that mid eighties, mid nineties era of sampling when sampling was a thing, when producers, musicians would uh, rap musician, uh, hip hop musicians would take records, uh, samples from records produced in disparate musical ecologies. Remember not just a saxophone or a drum, but a sax recorded in a particular studio by a particular engineer on particular equipment, right? And, and layer it over three other such distinctive musical uh, ecologies to produce new, uh, new sounds that will never be heard again, will never be heard again because of intellectual property rights regimes. I supported property rights. I believe in them. However, uh, I lament the notion that what we did can never be reproduced. And I've uh, in my music on the piano and, and whatever else I'm dabbling, it, it is an effort in a way unconsciously or consciously to reconstitute that era um, through purely instrumental means. And I do want to say, Nate, I did want to, one thing I want to get across here besides all of this biography and, and certainly wonderful dialogue with you guys, I do want to issue a challenge to the 
students in the conservatories and in the jazz institutes right now to take hip hop seriously, to take the hip hop aesthetic seriously and try to integrate it into their work so they can create a new American music. We need a new American music in the way that the jazz greats took the blues forms, deconstructed them, reconstructed them into something profound and new. We need hip hop to be in the broader conversation of great American music within the folk tradition, but also beyond. And that hasn't happened yet. I want it to happen. I think the ship has sailed for me, fellas. <laughs> I, believe it's, I believe it's sailed for me. But I don't think the, the, the young people coming up today, I think they have an opportunity to take this great form that we love and, 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 and uh, you know, uh, add, add, add uh, you know, make it a layer of American musical history, a new layer of, of the future of the future. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So Love that. They, yeah, thanks, man. Chills. Um, we do have yeah. one listener who teaches at Berkeley, so maybe this will all will loop itself back around again. We could talk about that offline. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, that's that's a really interesting statement, and it kind of leads me into uh, my next question, which is about the future of the form. I think definitely when the visuals came out, um, you and Yeshua were at the the forefront of lyrics and what Cool Keith would call lyric records, like being out front uh, with that. When you look at hip hop today, however you look at it, um, are you encouraged about the future of the form of rap specifically, I'm sorry. Are you encouraged about the future of the form? Are you worried? Like if you're a futurist projecting out, what do you, what do you think about the future of rap as a craft? I do try to tune in and sort of follow when I can what the young folks, maybe not so young anymore, are contributing. And I'm heartened in patches, in, in places um, where I see some wonderful lyricists really trying to, you know, pay fealty and fidelity to the tradition, the form while also putting their young stamp on it. Look, I mean, <clears throat> to say something like that, I sound like a fuddy-duddy, right? Like, I sound like a, oh, well, there's only one way one should rap, but here's the way, you, you know, uh, that's not true because, <laughs> you know, we know AC alone and Cool Keith, one, one from the West Coast, one from the East Coast, both define, you know, rap in, a, in, in you know, in profound ways from very different directions, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. there, there's, there are like, there are groups like Clear Soul Forces, um, already their, 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 their first, uh, you know, their big single is what, 10 years old now, right, but this, right. I don't know how to say his name, no, Novelis, is it no, no, Novelis? You know, they're J. -Rock, I think you said it right. Anyway. Yeah, it's a novelist yeah. without you just kind of novelist. drop the T on how you would normally say novelist. That's how I say it. I there know. you go. All right. Novelist. I mean, this guy is excellent. I'm listening to him. He's got he's got it all. I like this guy. He's really good. Um, of course, Cool Keith is still at it, which is pretty amazing. And I love that. You know, right. he's still out there. But I mean, where, where is the form going? Um, I wish most Def was more consistently there because he's really he's one of my favorite rappers combining all of the qualities of a, of an, of an, of an um, outstanding um, uh, rapper. Uh, I think if his presence would be, uh, would is, is missed in a sense. I feel like he dips in and out. 
Um, of course, we've lost so many rappers and it's so sad how many um, are, are passing away um, in untime, you know, way before their time. There's, the list is too long to enumerate here. Uh, that's very sad. So, I mean, right there, you know, the form is suffering on, on account of that. But there are some young people. I mean, I, I love Pro Era. These guys, I mean, some of their stuff, they veer into some, you know, uh, stuff that I don't like as a father of two daughters, never liked it, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, like, like, much, like a lot of the boundary drawing and rap, there's too much misogyny. There was and there yeah. is. And, you know, that's a problem that, you know, we, we, we should confront. And I many and rap has confronted it to a degree. Um, it, it could do more. But, but you know, I, I love these guys from pro era, especially their early music, because they, we went to high, I went to high school, the same high school they did, you know? So that's sort of like that continuity, as I allude to in my new song, that continuity is, is, is meaningful to me, right? Uh, that we all drank the same, you know, fountain water. <laughs> uh, maybe it was, uh, maybe it was uh, special for the, the rap edition uh, of fountain water. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and hopefully not full of lead. Um, so <laughs> there so you, go. You, you alluded to uh, a new song, which we're going to play in just a bit. It's called Nitro Fresh. Uh, we got it in the inbox. And I just want to speak for Nate right now. I'm like, Nate's fucking brain is exploding right now. This is, I had the pleasure of informing him that Saya sent us the joint. And we were mentioned, we're very, we're very flattered by that. All of that is true. And I am going to interrupt. Sorry, Damone. I, yeah. I just want Saya, you to know, I got the reference. Uh, you guys say nitro fresh. I don't know if it was just a term you guys always used, but you say it at the end of that freestyle track on uh on the ep right it's like nitro fresh y'all i was walking down the street i said to this girl and like to somebody who's about to start kicking their next crime, right yeah all right oh yeah, my well, goodness so uh, Demon, just Demon, <laughs> yes. just just uh a, a minor clarification so it's nitro fresh 2021 okay right? 20, gotcha. yeah you got it and it's uh, you know 25 years after uh the record i made uh with ed came out so Looking to on, uh, please. I don't know if you had another. Uh, no, no, no. Joy, I was, but, I was, yeah. I was setting you up to talk about Nitro Fresh, which we'll play in, in just a moment. So Nitro Fresh twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Nitro Fresh is a word I guess I first used in sixth grade in a rap. We rock the house on the Rock Express because our beats and rhymes are Nitro Fresh. Woo! That's the line from sixth grade, <laughs> and then, and then uh, of course the ninety six record. And then look, I mean, twenty five years is a generation. Okay. Yeah. I was doing a uh, I was doing a, a a family jam session in the basement, uh, and and I just uh, started banging out like a hip hop beat on the piano. My eight year old daughter grabs her flute, and she just starts riffing over it. I have the four year old hitting a couple of notes. <laughs> I, I tried to keep her on the D, you know, like this. And and, and my my eight year old like the hunger to sort of contribute a riff to be a part of it. You know, it, I listened back to the 45 seconds and I said, my God, I've got a loop here. You know, I've been thinking about how I could honor this record and, and just the, the, the uh, you know, things like, you know, you, you, the phenomena like the fact that this amazing podcast um, keeps the flame alive of it and, and, and really lo- continues to draw meaning from it. And, and I was like, oh, I'll write something. I don't rap anymore. I'll write something. I'll do something, you know. <laughs> but I'm like, damn, I got this loop. Let me make a beat. Let me, and I'm like, All right, let me write some lyrics. <laughs> Boom. Got the song. <laughs> it, 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 so. it, it never dies from one old rapper to another. 
it 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 never it never dies. I always compare it to the guy who uh who shows up at the the pickup court. You know what I mean? Who's like 52, but he still got the jumper. He knows how to do That's it. it. Yeah, so That's I definitely it. got I got the feels uh, listening to this new joint. We're so happy that you shared it with us, and we're going to play it for the listeners in just a moment. But we want to thank you for coming on, man. Just thank you so much. And um, you have new music. We didn't touch on too deeply in this interview, but you have new music. Uh, you described it as Debussy meets Marley Marl, which I think... <laughs> is as as a descriptor is fucking fantastic uh so we we definitely are looking out for more of that in the future but just thank you so much for coming on the program such a pleasure to meet you yeah just incredible thank you to so much. Uh, get a chance to connect thank you for reaching out and just uh you, yeah your music's really really important to me so thank you for all of that thank yeah, you guys big honor thank you so much likewise here i'm very excited for what you're doing and congrats on your upcoming 200th uh, episode anniversary. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Oh, All right. Thank Take you. care, Saya. Take care, Peace. fellas. Bye. Peace. Dad Bod Rap Pod, that was our conversation with Saya. Now, in the interview, we don't get into this, and he was super gracious about it, because if I was him, I, I kind of would have got pissed. Um, he has new music. Um, that is this interesting intersection of um, piano and hip-hop. He talks about it a little bit in the interview, so I want to let everyone know that you can go to YouTube, and his channel is called Keyboard Tinkerer, uh, and you can check out some of the new stuff. That yeah, it's, it's it's very interesting um, from like just to see. It's funny, like just something I noticed when I was doing my research. He sent us some of his YouTube videos of I consider it kind of like modern composition, which is not yeah, yeah, like yeah. A, which is not like a scene I keep up with. Um, yeah, yeah, very much. Totally. But it's like pian piano based music with other elements that's like based on. Uh, like it, I, I really hesitate to call it classical music, but I kind of don't know how to talk about this modern compositional music in well, any other way. So it's yeah. that. But when in one of the videos, like the first video he sent us, he's wearing the same uh, video music box sweatshirt. Yes. And I was like, Love oh, it. that's obviously him, you know. Um, so I think he generally he has one foot in a hip hop universe and then another foot in like an entirely different musical universe. So on this YouTube channel, keyboard tinkerer, you can kind of hear what this great mind is, is doing these days and what music interests and excites him and like where he has taken the kind of study of piano that we talk about in the interview into like a, the, ne the next level. As but well. I love that. I love that he's incorporating a hip hop ethos into it. Um, I love his comments about how hip hop is a, is a rhythmic thing, which I I've also tried to explain to folks who are kind of outside it. It is a rhythmic thing. And his referencing of trying to emulate some of the, the dissonance and kind of the um, the stompy rhythms of the '80s of '80s hip hop within this very fascinating. I love his uh, his approach and also that like 
he seems like he's in a good place with mm-hmm. the music that he made and kind of where he's sitting now, right? Mm-hmm. Very humble, of course. You would expect nothing less, but understands he was part of a special moment in hip hop. And we've often said, and um, we get pretty deep into this in a Passion of the Weiss piece written by the homie Sun Ra, that we kind of realized earlier this year that one of the missions of the show is not just for us to hang out and share music that we love and crack jokes and make puns, but to flatten the listening experience for people from like kind of Mm -hmm. the earliest stages through the golden era to the underground to now. And we see thematic and stylistic connections between them. And it's kind of like, if you like this, you'll like that, but it's not quite as tidy as all of that. But um, we try. We try. We're trying to draw those connections over the life of the program. And if you're a dedicated listener, I hope, is getting something out of it. Uh, yes. But anyway, um, Saya, amazing guest. So, yep. so cool that he wanted to talk to us. He said some really nice stuff about us that'll probably get edited out at the beginning because it's almost like over the top. But trust me, it was very, 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 very valuable. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. I, I appreciated uh, his candor. And also to hear from somebody who... Um, is definitely a thinker, mm, right? Very much I so. think, and like, yeah. if you hear his, sorry to cut you off, Demo, but if you like listen to his raps, like, you would get like, this you know is what? A, this is an active mind. But it's interesting. Some of the most, I'm not going to name any names here, but some of the most kind of like uh, dopest writers sometimes are not super articulate in in, in interviews and such. Uh, I'll say one name who we haven't interviewed. I feel like Ice Cube is like that. I feel like Ice Cube's best songs are fucking cinematic masterpieces. And you hear him talk and he's like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I've heard I've heard his his directing style is like, yeah, go over there. Yeah, no, it's it must have been a bit we all watched. It's like some other comedian on a talk show or something is talking about Ice Cube directing movies like, hey, put that thing over there. (laughs) <laughs> that's it like, but, that was a long time ago but yeah I, it, it, I was, you, it was yeah there, yeah he's there his, are his... levels to articulateness and but that's yeah. not even really what we were what you were saying is like there is a deep well of thought yes behind these he, answers he's an intellectual guy he's thought about not only his work but the culture and as a an asker of meta questions i always appreciate that um and so it was great to kind of hear him expound on his place where he thinks he sits um, as well as where the culture is going. Um, And also like, I feel like it's great that hip hop artists can develop other interests. I feel Mm -hmm. like, I feel like sometimes we're super limiting. We're mad at Andre 3000 for picking up flute and like walking around gas stations, but uh, he gave us jewels. Like he can do whatever he wants as can Saya and he is doing whatever he wants. So we want to encourage folks to check out his YouTube channel, keyboard tinkerer um and also check out our patreon dad bod rap pod uh patreon.com slash dad bod rap pod where you will get things like the fly sporadic nate's uh radio show which um is brave reviews right now i mean uh almost to the point where um if you're smart you'll start your own patreon just for that but please hold, don't. hold on hold on no one will be able to see this, but I want you to see. This is about a quarter of a stack of what I'm starting to put together for the Ew. next one. Ew. I, yeah, when I started pulling records, I was like, damn, this is going to be intense. I think the next one's going to be 
stretching the time limits a little bit and i might have to talk okay. after every song because i have like a, a a vision for the next I, one that's I, I, more explanatory I, I loved um the progression from fly sporadic one to fly sporadic two electric boogaloo no it's called kim, <laughs> it's called kim quarter um and it's one of those things where now with our patreon we kind of have a place and it's I, i'm gonna be honest bro little bit jealous i've been doing <laughs> i've been doing a playlist project all year for myself and like one other person um and it's just great to see your vision kind of realized and be able to hear it so Thanks, that's man. one of one of the perks that you get if you are a patreon subscriber it's only five bucks a month join the burgeoning community uh that exists on patreon supporting dead but we found out uh, five bucks is four pounds Five bucks is four pound, but we need to come up with another tier because we have uh, Brit Hop homies who are paying seven pound. Oh. I think to kind of like, you know, it's a flex because their currency is worth more. But I think <laughs> I think seven pound is actually what five dollars is here. So shout out to uh, all the Patreon subscribers, but also the Brit homies who are the paying people seven who pound. go above and beyond. I was talking to an old friend um, who doesn't really understand podcasting or Patreon or hip hop for that matter, but smart person understand my life. And I was like, yeah, there's people who pay more than we ask just to be nice. And like, so we have a little like loose change <laughs> in our pocket and we want to keep doing the show and it's incredibly uh, enriching. Uh, we probably should have started this earlier now that people like it, but it's all good. Yeah. Everything in due time. And uh, absolutely. I, and just to kind of round the corner on what you were saying to mom, like, you know, that we have a lot of freedom. We, the editors, as Dave, yeah, to exactly. Say, you exactly. Share your playlist with the Patreon folks or come up with something new for I, them. I, like I it, it, it doesn't take that much time. What I had to do was, I my wife works late on Thursdays, so I was like in that time in between when I get off work and she gets off work. That's when I'm going to do my radio show. Yes. So it's like I yep. work on it at that time and still make dinner and you know do all the stuff I have to do. But it's like if I didn't make time for it, I wouldn't do it. You know what I mean? Uh, it is the, the conundrum of adult life, but yes. um, somehow we continue to churn out a fucking podcast one episode <laughs> a week. Uh, for the past three years, and we are rounding towards uh, episode 200, which, you know, numbers, especially when Spotify rap comes out, you find that all numbers ain't the same. <laughs> there's numbers and then there's numbers, right? Where you're like, oh, I'm pretty proud of that. And then you see, you know, Boo Boo the Fool has 7 million streams last year. Some but, of the, but, when the artists were posting them and the, the, we could do an hour on the artists who are mad about what people are posting and the ones who make the fake graphics, making fun of people for posting. Just Spotify rap day has become a whole thing. Amazing. Also, I'm kind of feeling this burnout from artists on Bandcamp Friday. I don't know if okay. you were feeling that. They're okay. like, we can't push all our commerce to one day. I don't have a new thing every 30 days to drop. No. I don't want to ship all my packages the day on after. On a Friday. Friday. Yeah. So that was a weird narrative that I saw, or maybe um, narrative is not the right term, but like a, a new segment of um, posts. Mm -hmm. But anyway, my point in bringing this up is when some of the artists post their numbers, you're like, no way. Well, you're kind of like, no way, right? And then it, it gives you a sense of two things. One, the we talked about this last week, um, the ease and convenience of Spotify, where I feel like there's certain artists that are getting streams just almost just because it's easy. 
Like your music lives on a couple playlists. It, I don't know if these playlisting are... clearly goes into this. Like then Absolutely. people are just mindlessly, but you're it's... getting plays you might not have even done. And then I don't, you know, the, yeah. the algorithm yeah. then identifies songs that would fit into the moods yeah. of these different playlists and auto plays them. Yeah. And it's unclear to me how where that how starts and begins. But it, we we are kind of online buddies or like little like, you know, homies with some hundred thousand airs, right? Like yeah, some of yeah. our artist friends, like I'm like, damn, good for you, man. That's really cool. And they'll show the previous yeah. years and how much they've grown. And I'm like, Growth. that's fucking amazing. And then I'll, I'll take like a mid-tier street rapper. I'm not going to name yeah. one. I'll tell you after who I'm talking about. It's like four million. And I'm like, no way. Yeah, but yes way because... Because if Issa Rae puts your joint for four seconds in an episode, then you're just tapped into a whole new world. So I walk away from this going, for most artists, um, it is it can be a marker of your growing popularity or just kind of how your music ends up as wallpaper. Like, I mean, if we're going to be real, like some of these things are just audio wallpaper. Well, now, can we get like some podcast wallpaper? <laughs> we are we are we are working towards podcast wallpaper. We've seen amazing growth. It's you know all numbers ain't the same. So compared to the largest podcast out there, I know it's not a big deal. But for us, we've seen steady growth over the last um, three years, and we continue to uh, to kind of keep incrementally expanding our fan base. But this is what I will say: nobody's listening to our pod by accident. Right. Every one of our numbers is uh, is 100 real, and it's people connecting with us, and so we're super grateful for that. I think it's reflected in the number of people who have signed up for our Patreon. Which, if we would have talked about this last year, you would never believe me um, <laughs> that we could that we could have this many people um, kind of let's say investing in the program, investing, sort of. yeah, investing in our long term uh, enjoyment of this because we are um, doing work. It's actually yeah. kind of like work and shit. Um, <laughs> with that being said, want to get to this uh, Saya track, as you know, Dad Bod Rap Pod. You can connect with us on Twitter at Dad Bod Rap Pod, uh, on IG at Dad Bod Rap Pod. We do episodes every Thursday, and sometimes, some, sometimes, we drop exclusive burr, 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 new music, Today is one of those days. Keep Nitro Fresh 2021 by Saya. Here we go, girls. It's been a long time. I got a dad bod. Might even debut this on the rap pod. Young rappers, I take to school. Buckle you in the backseat, wipe off your drool. Been doing this since Rudy was in diapers. He's still in diapers, might be in Rikers. When I recite this, your wife says, turn it off. Come back to the kitchen and help me stir the sauce. Was up north, no shackles, just a lecture ship. And when I left, I thought I heard the levels dip. I got quips for this silver jubilee. You Reichstagas can't have it, you didn't free. You know, you, you, you know, you know, and I know. You got to be You know, you, you, you know, you know, and I know. I'm balding, but the flow's still scalding.
Everything is so tight like Lycra on a middle-aged biker. South Brooklyn stylist, Coney Island contortionist, Porsche belt revivalist, dishing out cold cuts. So what you want? Rest in peace, MCA and Capital Steve's Monroe bread all the way. I couldn't pop it lock, I couldn't write graffiti, I couldn't spin records, but the city still called, so I gave it my soul on. Wax for safe keeping now, 25 years on, nobody's sleeping. Next, I'll fold the AARP rap chapter, so you rappers better think of what rhymes with canasta. Get cheddar and shredded on Taco Tuesday You say, no way, that dude's long retired Yeah, I took a buyout, now back for another tryout To celebrate the music that I made in my youth That give my girls the best form of true living proof A fresh new jam that all might admire Except the sucker MCs So whether you quote scripture or the rappers who hit ya Poetry keeps its tethers in our world forever From Brooklyn and back in every place where tongues flop I let the rhythm hit him one more time Then he's back You know, you know, you know, you know, and I know.